Okay, hello and welcome to the next episode of Ask the Accountant, We've Got Cool Friends. In this episode, we've brought in someone a bit left field. Someone that's been very, very helpful to us in the last year or so. Um, but someone that's happy to remove the black magic around his specialist field and speak in plain English terms to both accountants, bookkeepers and their clients. So, Peter, welcome to Ask the Accountant. We've got cool friends. Why don't you much. take a few minutes, introduce yourself and what you do. Hello, everybody. My name's Peter. I'm a licensed insolvency practitioner for my sins. Um, it, it's often a misconception um, what an insolvency practitioner does, kind of who we are. Um, often when you walk into the room, yeah, there's uh, there's images of silence and uh, odd odd looks, um, but effectively we we see ourselves in our profession as uh, recovery renewal, um, facilitating the, uh, the the growth of the UK economy. Every now and again, we've got to put a company into liquidation where we can't save them, but we do our best as a profession. Um, it's a very small profession. There's only two thousand of us roughly in the UK. And um, yeah, we are odd beasts, mythical creatures floating around on the edge of the accountancy world. So thank you very much for bringing uh, our our profession into the uh, into the studio today. No problems at all. So insolvency practitioner is probably the, the words people dread as a business owner. Yeah. yeah, we need to speak to an insolvency practitioner. It implies failure. It yep. implies negative. Very thoughts. much so. Yeah, but actually. I think what you just said there, you are the rescuer to that, not necessarily to that business, because sometimes that business can't be saved, but you are the rescuer to that business owner mm -hmm. and their family. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I really valued when we first met. Mm -hmm. And someone introduced me to you and said, yeah, you know, you talk to Peter, he's great for insolvency because I had a client who was in trouble. And your first thing wasn't, you know, how big is the business or anything, it was, who do I need to speak to? Do I need to speak to the business owner or do I need to speak to the business owner's wife who's giving the business owner all sorts of trouble because she thinks he's about to lose their house? And it just clicked for me then. So, yeah, it's not about filing paperwork and dealing with HMRC and the banks. Mm. It's actually about looking after the mental welfare of my clients through one of the most stressful things they could potentially do purely because as a as a country we have defined insolvency as failure yeah. and negative comprehension yeah. whereas actually it is a perfectly legitimate and professional way mm -hmm. to wind down a company if you're looking to retire yeah it's a perfectly legitimate and professional way to exercise many options for many reasons. It doesn't just mean failure, but the media picks it up and yeah. goes with it as a failure, doesn't it? Um, so times are tough out there in the world of business in the UK at the moment. Are you starting to, you know, we've seen the media report increase with dissolving of businesses, etc. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing that on the ground floor or is it media speculation? We are. We are. Just before I go and answer your question, yeah. Johan, what I would say is you're spot on about insolvency, to my mind, being about people. Um, I'm not a numbers man. Yep. Not at all. Not even by the faintest stretch of the imagination. If you said to my maths teacher, I work with numbers all day, she would, she would not believe you. <laughs> um, and uh, my journey into insolvency was by accident. Actually, most of my field fell into uh, insolvency. Um, I actually uh, studied architecture at university um, and then got caught in the 07-08 recession. Okay. From there, I fell into audit. Yeah. Um, and audit and I were oil and water. Um, uh, and then I fell into insolvency shortly thereafter. And 15 years later, I absolutely love it. And I love it because every day is different. And I love it because I'm helping people. Um, I come at it from a completely different perspective because... I, I'm a trained numbers man. I'm not a natural numbers man. Yeah. So I, I, I look at things from a helicopter view when I'm speaking to clients. I'm doing it often with a piece of paper to hand. 
and I'm actually showing them the options, I'm drawing them the options uh, and, and presenting it like that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's why I enjoy it. And when we talk about the people and, and, and kind of how the people interlink in an insolvency, you always, always in an insolvent liquidation have angry creditors. Yep. By default, that's your starting point. That's usually where the problem is. Uh, you're right, Johan, when you say, you know, there are other stakeholders. Could it be um, that the director's given a personal guarantee? Uh, that could then affect the, uh, the home. It can affect the partner that's got no idea what's going on. Yeah. Um, and it's about speaking to people and understanding what their fears are. In a lot of insolvency, uh, as you rightly said, um, the negative connotations on it around insolvency just bring dread in, in, in into people's eyes. I see it uh, at initial meetings. And I know I've done a good job where in, in the back of my mind, I've got the picture of the people in front of me at the beginning of the meeting and the smiles and the, the kind of freedom that I'm looking to give them towards the end of the meeting. And all I'm doing is giving them the options. Yeah. All I'm doing is just making them see their situation in a completely different light. Then I, I've, I've done my job. Uh, and that brings me on to the media in all of this. Um, there's a hell of a lot of scaremongering out there. Uh, it makes, I suppose, in 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 in, in Britain, we we enjoy talking about the weather. And more often than not, we're talking about if it's going to rain and when there's bad weather. Yeah. <laughs> when there's sunshine, we can't sit back and enjoy it. We're moaning that it's too hot, uh, that I'm going to get burned. And you know, th there seems to be that around the UK economy. The UK economy, in my eyes, it, it, touch wood, is steady. We're not in a bad place. Uh, it, the UK is a great place to do business. Um, but when the headlines are focused on, you know, redundancies, especially the limelight in the construction industry, yep. for which, you know, I hold dear because of my background, I, I've just kind of do quite a lot of construction insolvency. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, insolvencies of construction companies is off the scale compared to uh, any other sector. Um, but for small business owners, if everything that you read day after day in the media is negative, it's then difficult to be positive about the future of your business. Uh, and, and the point that I'd like to make is there's absolutely no reason to think that your business is going to be affected like everybody else. You know, instead of focusing the energy on what can I do to be different, and survive whatever it is that's that's affecting everybody else. It's very easy to get sucked into the melodrama, and I very much blame the media. Yeah, uh, I think with the media though, and I think what they're trying to achieve and what they're trying to do is just is just make those clicks, right? And 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 what we need is people like yourself just to go look. Let the media do what the media does. Let them scaremonger. Let them try and get these clicks. What I always appreciate about you is you just lay out that like this is this is the actual truth this is the realistic of it and i think the biggest thing that i've ever learned from you is also that whole idea of when to start thinking about talking to a, to, to someone like yourself because it's so easy right it's as the client they're they're going to want to almost bury the head in the sand at some points it's their you know it's their baby that could be in trouble or whatever mm. but as the accountant as well it's almost like it's we almost feel like we failed in some respects yeah. And we, we've got to be the one to say, right, this is when we need to talk mm -hmm. to you. We need to mm -hmm. reach out to you. Mm -hmm. Have you got kind of any advice of, of when that should happen? Is there any kind of yeah. warning signs that you look for? Yeah, most definitely. Um, think of, if we can take the, the words insolvency practitioner and make them disappear, pretend they don't exist, yep. that's not our label. Um, and, and, and think of me as a business recovery specialist. All of a sudden, it's a completely different conversation. Yeah. Um, think of me as a business doctor. And uh, you can never go and see your doctor too soon. Yep. The sooner you go, the earlier the diagnosis. Um, whatever it is that's affecting the business, you've got more chance of you know, dealing with it. You've got more options on the table, so to speak, uh, the earlier that you sit down and have a conversation. Uh, prime example is I often get panicked phone calls uh, where there's a winding up petition, usually from a HMRC, and it's usually two weeks away. And I'm like, oh, God. So then all of a sudden, the informal options, the negotiation, the time to pay arrangements are out the window. Um, more often than not, that petition um, is about to be advertised. As soon as it's advertised, the bank accounts are frozen and then the business is crippled. Um, yes, we can deal with that situation. 
uh, just with very limited options. And the best that you can do, think of it as life, uh, life support, and you do an orderly wind down uh, of the company by way of a voluntary liquidation uh, where possible. Fast forward that to um, conversa conversation I was having at the beginning of this week about um, a, uh, uh, a furniture retailer. He knows he's in a little bit of trouble, um, owes a bit to the landlord, supplies are beginning to beginning to start knocking on the door, but he's come to me early. Yeah. Uh, and so not one to talk myself out of a job, uh, as, you, as you rightly said, um, I say exactly how it is. Uh, and for me, an informal, uh, an informal arrangement, a conversation with the one or two key suppliers and the landlord who were owed, owed, owed the big money and say, look, this is my cash flow forecast. This is what I intend on doing with the business. Will you support me over the next three to four months uh, where I can't, I can continue to pay my ongoing liabilities, but I can't pay the arrears. And by month four of my projection, I'll be able to begin making a dent and I'll be able to repay you all in full over the next kind of six to 12 months. Informal arrangement, I'm not going to charge for that. You know, this is what you can do. Go ahead and do it. If yep. you need any help, give me a shout. Which is very much in line with how you and I work and a lot of accountants and bookkeepers are starting to work, which is advice is free at the point of requirement. Mm. We will charge you to implement that mm. advice. If you want me to go and have that conversation with those suppliers for you, that is going to cost you. Exactly. But I'm going to tell you how you can go and do it yourself free of charge. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's not something anyone ever thinks of when they think of business recovery. Mm. Like they think the moment I go and have that meeting, like when I go and meet a lawyer, they expect that stopwatch to start and then that's it. it like the taxi meter, it yeah. keeps racking up. Yeah. And to have someone in, a, in, a sole, in business recovery that works the same way as the accountant or bookkeeper that the client knows and trusts and wants to work with is a huge bonus, especially at such a high stress time. Yeah. Yeah. Lawyers are a completely different beast. Um, yeah. They make me nervous. Oh, they make uh, everyone nervous. <laughs> <laughs> they make every, exactly. They make every, everybody nervous. But um, yeah, most definitely it's about having that, that strong relationship, the relationship between uh, the introducing accountant uh, and the insolvency practitioner is imperative to best be able to assist that client at their time of need. Um, there are times that people come to me, you know, off the street or they've seen me on LinkedIn or Instagram yeah. uh, and they'll pop me a quick message. But without the support of, uh, of the accountant, um, it's quite difficult to be able to advise them because that, that information that I need to be able to formulate an opinion on where this business is going and assess the options is often missing. Yeah. Um, and it makes my job so much harder. Uh, similarly, I, I say to all my introducing accountants, you're not bothering me. You know, when you're when I, I am always available at the, on the end of the phone. Trust me, what I do day to day is not that important. It is filing some forms and reading some reports. Uh, and, and, and every now and again, I'll pick up a calculator just to double check because my mental maths <laughs> is atrocious. Pick up the phone. You know, we'll have an off-the-record chat with the uh, with, with the accountant in the first instance, get an understanding, and then you know we can we can meet with the uh, with, with the client face to face where possible. Zoom also works absolutely fine these days, yeah. and just take the heat out of the situation. Um, often clients are super stressed about the wrong things. Yeah, they're stressed about you know these demand letters. Well, actually, all these demand letters are from all big corporations. The fact that you know you owe them five, ten, fifteen, fifty grand. You're 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 a small debt in the bigger picture. Don't yep. worry about it. Similarly, they often don't know what what is the biggest issue, which is often the personal guarantees. It might have been something that was signed at the bank fifteen years ago yeah. uh, for an overdraft that's been extended five times since then, yep. and the exposure could be fifty grand. They've got no idea. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that actually we need to sit down and make sure you understand. Um, and, uh, you know, accountants have got a very difficult job. You know, I, I, I do feel for you guys because you're expected to know about tax. You're expected to know about um, uh, setting up the business, operating the business, uh, the 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 day-to-day -day changes in, in audit that seem to just, you know, all, all, you, all you seem to hear is ex-audit has been fined for ex-breach because once they've got into liquidation or administration, the proverbials hit the fan and uh, someone somewhere 
in the accountancy world is is deemed responsible for some odd reason. Um, and you know, you're not expected to know about in, insolvency. I've been in it 15 years, and I, I learn every single day. Um, so it's always good to have that professional who's on the end of the phone that will give you half an hour of their time, give your client half an hour of their time, and just take the heat out of you know very emotional uh, situations. I mean, if I was to describe synonyms for for insolvency, it would be often anger yeah. and, uh, and and stress. Um, and when you just look at things from a completely different perspective, they can disappear. Yeah. You mentioned there 15 years you've been doing the, the job for. In that 15 years, how's tech played in terms of the decision-making and everything else? Have you seen it's helped as, you know, we we hope and we're trying to push the fact that clients have more real-time information and yep. they've yep. got that sort of, you know, we would hope that, you know, with a decent accountant, decent bookkeeper, mm. or, or if the client's on, on the board themselves, that they would have access to real-time information. Has that, do you see that, Yoren? Is that... We do. It's filtered in in the last couple of years. Okay. Um, so once a company goes, an insolvent company uh, into, enters into some form of procedure, the insolvency practitioner has to report to the insolvency service. And that involves going through the bank statements uh, and company books and records. Uh, when I first started, that involved boxes of receipts dating back from five years ago with nothing in the last kind of 18 months and very rarely anything that wasn't covered in the previous accounts. So the period that I'm interested in is from the last accounts to the point of insolvency, what's happened? And more often than not, I've got absolutely nothing. And fast forward now, uh, if I'm allowed to name drop, uh, we use uh, Armalytics. Um, so we get the bank statements on, on on day one of the appointment. So that gives us that three-month window with some, with some relevant information, pretty much on each and every case, um, where we've got to do our reporting within month three. Uh, that's been a huge game changer for us, especially where the companies don't have a cloud-based uh, uh, system. Uh, with that, we're able to uh, pull up a trial balance um, and that helps our kind of investigations, uh, very much so with something like a, a legal dividends. So you can kind of use the trial balance um, uh, at various dates to give you an indication of at what point do we think the company was insolvent uh, and has just made our reporting to the insolvency service so much easier. That said, I mentioned this at the start, insolvency is on the fringes of the accountancy world. And so the tech is only beginning to be okay. implemented for us because we are such a small niche. Yet, for example, with our AML requirements, everything is everything is high risk that we do. And so for the existing providers to adapt what they do in, you know, plain sailing accountancy world to the dark depths of, of what we do. Um, it's taken a little bit of time for, for, for the tech providers to think about us and also to then tailor their products uh, for us. But us as insolvency practitioners, we are, we are waiting. We are waiting for more. Okay, so in the accounting and bookkeeping space, it took, and there is still people out there that do not embrace tech. And encouraging change in the industry can be a challenge. As a sector in business recovery, are you, as an industry, do you feel like the industry is very tech face, forward facing and you want to embrace things like, you know, obviously you're there, you're embracing Armalytics, you're getting access to QuickBooks and Zero, so mm -hmm. you can run your reports and work out what needs to be done. Would you say you're, you're an outlier or an early adopter of the industry mm -hmm. or actually, no, the industry's crying out for this. Everyone's asking for it. We're just waiting for the software providers to get on board with us. Um, it, it, it's a combination of both. I mean, um, the insolvency industry has uh, been predominantly serviced by Turnkey, uh, who provide IPS for short. It does yeah. stand for Insolvency Practitioners uh, System, and that's been around since day dot. Um, there's been a couple of uh, couple of competitors, but they've not been able to to to, to break into that space, um, and. Because it's such a small industry, um, you kind of stick to what you know. Uh, and so the adoption of tech has been historically uh, met negatively. But I'd say that 
as an industry, we're so squeezed by regulation that in order to, and we're not, we're not charities, we're, we're businesses and we're, 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 we want to make money like, like everybody else, um, that we've had to uh, adapt and uh, bring in new tech in order to deal with the added regulation in, in a time and cost effective way so that we can still do the work in roughly the same time scale. Give you an example, when I first started 15 years ago, my AMR checklist was one page, my ethical checklist was one page, and then I could issue an engagement letter. That took all of 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now I have to do a bribery uh, checklist, anti-money laundering checklist, that is about 50 pages long on the last check, uh, an ethical checklist, uh, a GDPR checklist, um, then uh, a case strategy note, um, have an indication of what my estimated expenses might be and it could be an insolvency that lasts one year, two year, three years or if it's a construction company with a huge but a huge retentions list could be years and years and then I can uh, put that together in an engagement letter it takes me four to five hours to onboard a client it used to take ten minutes so therefore there has to be other efficiencies yep. in the insolvency process and the only way to do that is to adopt technology, 100%. So just on that thing with technology for me, if you were going to fast forward and you're going to look at it, because I think my favorite bit, well, the most impactful thing you've said today was that analogy of the doctor and about, you know, in your role, you, you want to be seen more of a business saver, yeah, and, and mm. looking there and the whole idea of getting to a doctor early. Mm. Do you feel like technology, especially now we're talking about AI all the time and mm. AI is the big buzzword, do you think that's an opportunity where, if done right, that could actually get an opportunity where people can come and see you sooner mm. because AI can say, well, there's a bit of a problem here. You've probably not noticed it. Mm. We see trends. We see this. This is where you come in. Do you see that's the future uh, uh, we're going 100%, to? 100%. Uh, I'm going to embarrass myself here to say that way back when, a couple of years ago, when I tried to do my own tax return, um, and you, you put in your expenses in for, um, I think it was an investment property, uh, and you've got a big red box saying, are you sure that your expenses are this because it's way too high? And I was sitting there sweating. I was like, oh my God, have I done the wrong thing? You know, th there are some very simple warning signs. Often it's, is there a huge director's loan account building up? If so, why? Um, is it to meet day to day or is it is it for investment and growth of the business? Um, are the trade creditors beginning to stack up? Is there an issue with uh, falling behind on HMRC payments? And those kind of trigger warnings, um, you know, that, that that would be great if there was a flag to say, is there an issue? You should speak to your accountant. You should speak to, you know, wh whoever. Um, and uh, that will enable directors to get the right advice before making a wrong turn. Um, a very simple one being continuing to draw dividends at a time that, you know, your balance sheet is solvent. That's, that, I think that's quite a simple catch given that there's real-time information to be able to pick up those warning signs. Okay, so what we found here is someone that gives advice freely and then charges for implementation if required and getting that advice is no hassle. Fairly tech adopted and looking forward to the opportunities that tech offers. I want to go back to something you said though earlier about where people have found you mm -hmm. on Instagram and LinkedIn and stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, if I think of insolvency practitioners or business recovery, as I will now refer to it as going forwards, I love that. I think that's fantastic. Like, where would I expect to find someone like that? Probably expect someone to be hanging around a networking group, a BNI group, mm. who is actively going around the groups looking for accountants to add to their address book. Um, Maybe I'd expect to find them on LinkedIn because that's more of a professional network. Mm. But you were saying there, and I've seen your Instagram posts and stuff, um, you know, you posting yesterday that you're at the Digital Accountancy Show, etc. Instagram doesn't seem to me like a natural place for me to go, I know where I'm going to find an insolvency practitioner. I'm going to go on Instagram. Like, bookkeeping and accounting is not a, a photographic uh industry shall we say yeah. it's not something that we can easily get photos of every day without breaking gdpr yeah, and stuff mm -hmm. they go 
this is me today, this is what I'm doing, check out this on the screen. Yeah. Like, what got, what made you think Instagram? That's where I'm going to go and I'm going to sure. build a following, yeah. which you have done. Yeah. And you've done it successfully and you're successfully yeah. getting inquiries yes. off the back of it. Yes. Like, that's incredible. Like, there's people out there that will, you know, accountants and bookkeepers like, TikTok's not the place to be, Instagram's not the place to be. I mean, there's people out there that are proving it is. Hmm. But, yeah, why Instagram? Um, what got you onto it and kind of how are you finding it? It's time for me to eat some humble pie. So, uh, during lockdown, um, my wife uh, is a primary school teacher. Yep. She um, was doing some ad hoc private tutoring. Um, as a result of a lot of the kids not have not having access to online lessons, uh, she began offering uh, online lessons, and it's at that point I said, I think it's time to set up a company, um, because we could see that this was really going to take off, and 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 you know, touch what it really has. And as part of uh, kind of the marketing plan, she was spending a lot of time on Instagram. At which point I I just said, you know, I think you're wasting your time here. You know, oh, you're wasting your time. You should go and uh, do door to door do leaflets around the local area um, and, and you know, that would be far more successful. Thankfully, she didn't listen to me. And uh, <laughs> what she was doing was doing 60-second uh, videos for different age groups per day for parents to uh, activities to do with their children that were part fun, part learning, especially for the children whose schools didn't have uh, any online lessons right in the beginning of lockdown. Uh, she managed to build a following of about 25,000 in about nine months. Wow. And she was getting an inquiry a day for tutoring, at which point I said, right, I was so wrong, so wrong that I'm going to set up my own Instagram. And uh, it, it, it took me a bit of time to understand how it would work for me. Uh, without any disrespect to insolvency and insolvency practitioners, we're not that interesting. What we do is not that interesting. Um, what I found worked for me is just demystify what an insolvency practitioner is. Yep. Put a face to the name. Show who I am. Uh, that uh, I'm not scary. Yep. Actually, what my Instagram does is show that I'm not scary, that I'm a real person and I do random things. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm the only insolvency practitioner of my type. There isn't another one uh, out there like me. And, um, yeah, uh, by demystifying it, people feel comfortable yeah. to send me a message yeah. saying, oh, I think we need to have a chat. I've got a problem with the client. Great. Let's have a let's, let's have a let's have a call. Yeah. And, and the whole point is you're building that trust, right? Think back to pre-COVID, pre-anything else. You build your trust by taking your client on a golf trip or something like that, right? And what we're finding really is what Instagram, YouTube, social media, we're bridging that gap and we're, we're building the trust. And what I've always found the benefit of that is when you talk to that client, that prospective person, and at that point, they've already made a formal opinion on you. Then, yeah, they, they figured it out. And then all you've got to do then is just explain the important stuff, like what, how this relationship could work and what mm. they get out of it. Mm. Curious to know though, were you actively using Instagram before? Did you kind of, have you ever kind of fell into following someone else or anything yeah. like that? Or yeah, very much so, very much so. Um, I, I didn't know how to use Instagram pre-pandemic, um, and it's something that I've just just picked up. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed it. Just being me. Yeah. Um, I I don't I do very very little insolvency content. Um, it's just not the space for it. I think, you know, people roughly know what I do. And all, the the only real message I'm saying is uh, I can assist accountants, assist their clients. That's all that's all that's all that you know anyone really needs to know. Um and that um you know But you're I, I'm also there. proving that you're human. Yeah. You're approachable. Yeah. You're you know, you you don't speak in jargon, etc. Yep. You're there to make things as simple and easy as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Like, yeah. yeah. And especially in fact, you didn't really use it because what we would normally, because we get the question a lot like, like how, how do you start out in social media? What's the secret sauce? You know, he's absolutely smashing you know, smashing it on LinkedIn, you know, doing all right on YouTube. Like, like how do you make the start? And our, well, my personal like recommendation is always, well, what 
content you're already consuming. And if you're already consuming that content, you understand why the tricks and may not be the best platform ever for you, but start there at least because then you're you're on a platform you're comfortable with. It's no yeah. point posting your first TikTok video you've never used TikTok, right? I can't like, dance. Yeah. Can't dance. <laughs> That's it. And you wouldn't have a clue, would you, of what works and what doesn't. But if you're on a social media platform where you consume it, well, and the fact that you didn't really use TikTok, uh, Instagram that much, then no. credit to you because no. that's you going in blind but making it stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it literally, the, the 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 mantra is just, I'm just being myself, not doing anything. That um, It's not really anything different that I did on my personal one. I just kind of shifted that over. Uh, and yeah, I get, to, I get to be me doing what I do. Love it. It goes back, doesn't it? We had a really good chat with uh, Sam Mitchum yes. uh, in another episode, and she's a uh, an accountant. She started her own firm, only been going three years, very successful, lots of speaking opportunities, etc. because she is just so open and genuine on LinkedIn, which is her platform of choice. And she was saying, oh, you know, I was looking back through all the posts I've done in the last year, and... You know, some of them actually got me quite emotional because I was putting myself, I was thinking back to that time and stuff. And we said, well, there's a reason it's emotional. It's because it's open and honest. And it's mm. genuine. There's so many people out there that are presenting a fake persona mm. on social media. And then people are, people realize it straight away when they then meet you or speak to you for the first time. And they, mm. word soon spreads that uh, ignore what they're doing on social media. It's not genuine. That's not what that, you know, that's not what Peter's really like in real life. Whereas you know, if you've got, if you can be confident enough to be open and honest on social yeah. media, then it's such a good tool for even the most obscure industries that you would never think yeah. putting onto Instagram. Yeah. That it just shows actually, it doesn't matter what your professional yeah. like, market is or anything. We all buy and in, want to trust people 100% 100% and actually Aaron one of the things that you mentioned about you know the old school traditional golf day uh, the advantage of social media is that when you're speaking to somebody for the first time they actually have an indication of who you are yeah and there is a rapport that you've built over time just by seeing what each other are up to that you wouldn't get from an hour or two lunch or even a, even a whole day of golf you know you 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 build that no like trust over six months or so completely by accident so people just uh, might, might, may reach out to me and say you know how's the uh, how's the self build of the garden room going i'm built i've been self building my own office for actually two years and i finished it this weekend wow um and so that that that's formed part of my conversations my opening conversations with people reaching out to me for advice uh and that that, that wouldn't happen on any on any, on any other on any other medium it's just you do get to know people um through social media it's so powerful it is mind-blowing so you're seeing an increased number of cases for business recovery um you're getting a lot more inquiries courtesy of instagram and being a genuine open person what what's driving that increase of cases is it mismanagement is it you know, in my own opinion, I think businesses have got more debt than ever you would have got if it wasn't for the fact that the government was backing COVID loans. Mm -hmm. Like no bank would have lent Mrs. Blog's flower shop £50,000 before COVID and they still wouldn't. Yep. It's purely because the government backed it. They went, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> you've got the turnover, we'll give you, we'll give you the money. Yep. Um, or is it actually the debt's not the issue? Businesses just... They can't get the staff in, they can't recruit, they can't systemize and make themselves more profitable, that utilities are going up. What, what, what is driving that increase in people looking for your support? Or is it people are just getting to that, you know, the baby boomers are retiring and, you know, they don't want to sell the business on, they just want to shut it down, which again is such a, a good option mm. to, for you to support them through that because um, it just makes it all completely efficient and done right mm -hmm. uh you know what what's driving that spike in demand for you at the moment so you, you you're right on both points um i would say the key driver is pressure so uh in towards the end of 2020 beginning of 21 again back to the media point 
every 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 other day was a tsunami of insolvencies, and the, everybody was waiting for this wave of insolvencies that never came. It never came because the fifty grand bounce back loan was there to support yeah. uh, wherever possible. Um, there was also a complete backlog in the courts. HMRC being HMRC were not in a position to chase their debt. Uh, so there was a kind of a two-year window where HMRC didn't actively chase any of their debt. So fast forward to the beginning of this year, and there has been a real ramp up of pressure. Uh, creditors can no longer afford to subsidize other businesses. Um, everybody's hungry for cash. They're collecting their debtor ledger in. They're getting their solicitors involved. Um, the uh, winding up hearings uh, at the High Court are through the roof in terms of numbers. HMRC are driving that. Um, and with that pressure comes uh, directors having to make a decision. Uh, it's the pressure that causes directors to then seek advice, usually via their accountant, and then onwards to myself. So. Um, what's changed since end of 2020, beginning of 21, and now predominantly the pressure? But you, you're right, Johan, when you say that there are external forces at play, it's a very difficult time to run a business at the moment. It's difficult to recruit staff. It's difficult to keep up um, at the rate of inflation. And it's not a coincidence that uh, construction is suffering so badly because it's at the whim of those, those two main pressures. The, uh, the, the, the trades are not there. The, um, the, uh, the, the contracts were often agreed uh, a year or two prior. And so the true cost to do the job is completely different. Yeah. Um, there are firms out there stuck on contracts that they're going to lose money if they complete. Um, and uh, yeah, put, those, put the pressure and the current economic... Uh, te uh, pressures um, facing most businesses, and it's not uh, it's not a coincidence that the inquiries and conversations that we're having uh, are are much higher in number than they were six months ago. So, are we seeing a tsunami, or are we seeing a swell in the water levels? I'd say we're seeing a swell in the water levels. What we are seeing is owner managed businesses and the smaller entities being in trouble um, it, because a £50,000 bounce back loan and a £50,000 HMRC debt is a huge chunk of a smaller business's turnover. Yep. Um, the larger companies seem to be more resilient um, and so there is a, definitely a swell of, of owner-managed businesses seeking uh, insolvency advice for sure. And I think something you and I have spoken about in the past is that before COVID, rightly or wrongly, business gets into a little bit of trouble and the accountant would just try and slip a DSO-1, just slip a dissolving application into company's house, take a punt, see what happens, in the hope that HMRC won't blink because they've not actually got bank debt or anything, they've just got HMRC debt. So we'd stick a DSO-1 in, Either HMRC call our bluff, right, let's go and get business recovery involved, or HMRC don't blink, you've done your client a favour. However you look at it, yeah. <laughs> rightly or wrongly, I, there was a loophole there, yeah. and it was well exercised. <laughs> yeah. Um, from what I understand, that's gone, basically. C completely. Um I'm going to take my friendly insolvency practitioner, business recovery advisor, whatever you call me, hat off uh, and be serious for a moment. Um, do not, under any circumstances, submit a DSO-1 where a company has liabilities. Simple, simple fact being, it's a criminal offence. So it's either your client or, as a result of your advice, committing a criminal offence just don't do it. Yep. Um, it's one of those situations exactly where we said you need to have someone to pick the phone up to and, and discuss the situation where there are liabilities, a DSO one, hot water, possible jail time. We've seen our first uh, incarceration uh, as a result of a DSO one. Uh, it was tied into a fraudulent bounce back loan. 
So uh, a director of a non-trading entity took a £50,000 bounce-back loan because there was obviously no business, then he had to have taken that money personally yeah. and then submitted a DSO-1. At the point of submit, submitting the DSO-1, it was a criminal offence. Put that in with the fraudulent bounce-back bounce loan and utilisation and a two-year two -year jail term was the answer. Wow. There we go. Because the reason I ask is because there's actually a post on a Facebook group where people were saying, oh, just put a DSO-1 in. And it's like, no, HMRC are clamping down on this. You put it in and it's actually red flagging to them. It, you're spot like, on. You're spot on. What so. are they trying to hide? Yeah. So that, 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 that loophole that you mentioned has been closed because Companies House uh, now have different powers uh, when it comes to the DSO-1. And more often than not, there is a bounce-back loan involved yep. um, or HMRC might have a debt. And so one of those two will put an objection uh, to that strike-off. So that, that, that isn't an option anymore. Yep. But the last thing you want to do is flag it up that you try to close it uh, through the back door. Um, sets the alarm bells ringing. Great. Just on um, bounce-back loans, mm -hmm. have you had any, let's call them success stories, but have you had any opportunities where that bounce-back loan has been transferred or got rid of it? Is there good news out there? Because it is the bounce-back loan that I think most people are yeah. more worried about. HMRC, you're right, that's, that's a, a debt that, that's, that's happened. And... Unfortunately, with HMRC debt, it's it's normally a case of that it's been mismanaged in some way, right? Like, yeah. unfortunately, for most businesses, if they've had the profits or had the VAT, then they should have paid it over. But I feel like bounce back loan was one of those ones where, for most businesses, or for vast majority of the ones that you know looked after by an accountant, it's they were taking that bounce back loan as a as a punt to survive, right? Yeah. And, it, and it almost feels like. Because they took that punt, because they wanted to do one last roll of the dice and mm. get through the pandemic, that they feel like they're now being penalised, right? Mm. Has there been like success stories where there's been ways of being able to sort out the, the, the bounce back loan in one way or another? Sure. Um, have you got any kind of stories of how that's worked? So bounce back loans is Pandora's box in, in my world. Um, you've got... Uh, Genuine business owners who were struggling at the time, middle of 2020, you're unable to open your shop, you're unable to provide the service. Um, it's very bleak and dark. Um, what can you do? There's a lifeline there from for, from the Treasury. Uh, the banks had an open door policy. You filled in an application form, hit your bank account. Hopefully then you had that additional capital to trade you out of the situation, relatively low interest rate, and you continue to pay it over the next five to ten years or whatever happy days life doesn't quite always work out that way um and so where you have a, a genuine attempt to trade out the situation however you know for whatever reason uh the business the business hasn't been able to get back on its feet uh more often than not it's because post-covid world is completely different to pre-COVID yep. world. The business model that worked, worked then doesn't necessarily work now. And so, you know, a £50,000 bounce-back loan in the middle of 2023, maybe eight to 10000 of it might be paid off. So it's a liquidation with thirty, forty thousand 40000 outstanding, often a little bit to HMRC uh, and, and some trade creditors where the proverbials hit the fan, the business has no longer got any legs. And rather than increasing that that list of creditors directors are taking advice uh and and, and placing the company into liquidation that's how uh, a bounce back loan and insolvency uh, interact as long as the directors have made a legitimate application for the bounce back loan so if you're applying for fifty thousand, you would have needed a turnover of two hundred thousand in 2019 or a projection uh, to that effect, if you only began trading in 2019, that seems to be at the bottom, at uh, the bottom of the T's and C's, and the most minor um, uh, font, uh, because it seems as though this has only just come into uh, people's conscience. Um, and for that, I blame I blame the banks and I blame the treasury. Um, I think that you know some level of due diligence was possible 
I get we're in the height of the pandemic, but to submit the last year's accounts that had the turnover, or even simpler still, the banks know what the company's turnover is because the banks receive the turnover. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, I really struggle to accept how the bounce back loans were set out in terms of the application process. It left it, left it totally expo- exposed for fraudulent applications, both knowingly and unknowingly. Yep. Um, you, you look at those application forms and it says, what was your turnover? Well, what was your turnover when? In the last accounts or in 2019? Not clear. Um, so there are instances where the bounce back loan itself, the amount that was applied for was incorrect. That seems to be less of a problem than if the bounce back loan was misused. Right. So misuse, uh, as you mentioned, Aaron, could be taking funds into one company but utilising it for another. It could be, and I have seen instances of this, used to buy a car, fund holidays, fund potentially an excessive lifestyle. On the flip side of that, you know, there are directors who fell into that gap, and we heard it a lot in the media at the time, of those who weren't being helped, that didn't have access yeah. to furlough. You know, it's not unusual for a director to be taking a minimal salary and dividends, and then furlough doesn't help when you're on yeah. £900 a month. Yeah, um, 80% of 900 is not a lot. Is not and a lot. even worse was then a lot of those directors, through their accountants and bookkeepers' advice for years, hmm. were on an annual payment, which meant that one payment for in one month fell outside of the furlough claim period, which means they didn't get a penny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like there was a lot of directors hmm. that saw the bounce back loan as as a lifeline. That's the, the lifeline to yeah. get us through this. And, and there is a little bit of common sense applied from the guidance coming through from the Insolvency Service and the British Banking Association in terms of um, what was you know the requirement to to be able to live. Yep. Um, there is uh, a line between misuse and. You know, utilization for reasonable domestic need. You've got to stay alive yep. during the middle of the pandemic. Um, and the insolvency service are tackling the the fraudulent misapplication and, 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 and fraudulent use of the bounce back loans. I would say where the bounce back loan is being repaid in the ordinary course of business, it's 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 not going to flag up anywhere. Yeah. In an insolvency you know, you, it is wise to have a conversation around the bounce back loan. Um, the way that I approach it is I ask the director some very simple questions. Um, you know, are you satisfied with your with your application of the bounce back loan? Are you satisfied with the uh, utilisation of the bounce back loan? Is there anything else that you're worried about that you want to tell me? Yeah. Uh, in which case I can say whether it's going to be a problem in the liquidation and by problem it's it's a settlement that can be reached during the course of the liquidation um insolvency is also about money at the end of the day so if there is a problem it's usually fixed with money so having the bounce back loan isn't the be all and end all it doesn't stop you from liquidating Not at all. it's just looking back and going within reason have i applied correctly have I used it correctly? Yeah. And if so, then it doesn't stop you. You shouldn't not have that conversation with you. Correct. 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 In in any event, it's it's worthwhile having a conversation because if if the business is at a point that you can't afford to repay back bounce back loan, then something needs to give. Yeah. Um, and it's walking through what those options are, um, and and alleviating that that worry because worrying about it isn't going to make the problem going away. Uh, having a conversation about it, identifying what your options are, and planning a way forward will do. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Peter. We'll bring this to a close because I think there's so much for everyone to take away there. I mean, first of all, find yourself a business recovery person that works like you would work with your clients. I mean, the fact that when I ring Peter and say, look, I've got a client, he's in trouble, and Peter's not well, is he more trouble with the fine with the business, or is he more trouble with the wife? That mean who do I need to ring and put whose mind do I need to put to rest? Like that for me was such a big tick. But 
you know, if your business runs differently, then go and find an, a business recovery person that works that way because you want to make sure that relationship would be delivered to the standard that you would deliver it as an accountant or bookkeeper if you were able to deliver that service yourself. And I think for the next few years, we're all going to need a business recovery person on speed dial and available to answer questions um, because this isn't going to go away overnight. So, um, yeah, and I think the fact that you've gone, in, you've gone out and you've done something on Instagram for an industry that is completely left field for when I think of who I might find on Instagram, I think it's actually a really good example to all the accountants and bookkeepers actually that LinkedIn isn't necessarily the only platform you can use. If, you, if you're comfortable using TikTok and you're good at dancing, or you've, whatever you need to be to be good at TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or Twitter, then go and own it. Go and do it. Because anyone can make that platform work for them if they can get the messaging right. Um, so yeah, so lots for our listeners to take away there. Um, so yeah, um, before we end, Peter, where can people find you? How can people find you? And is there anything else you'd like to plug while you're here? Sure. So um, best place to find me, given that we've mentioned, given it so much airtime, uh, my Instagram handle is at in.solvency. That's I-N full stop solvency. Um, I am also on LinkedIn um, and uh, I'm sure we can put my details yep. at, the, uh, at, at the bottom. I'm only ever a phone call away. Great. And he is. Unfortunately, he keeps answering his phone when he's meant to be spending time with his wife or child and, or going out for the day. And I feel really guilty. <laughs> yeah, I must admit that that, that, that that did happen. That did happen, yeah. <laughs> I'm just about to go out. Right, I'll call you back. No, no, it's all right. No, I'm going to call you back later. <laughs> um, but you know what? That's how I am with my clients. So it's, you know, it's just fantastic that you're always willing to help. Um, so yeah, so thank you again for all of your insights, Peter really enjoyed that thank you for having me you're more than welcome um so yeah so if you want to get more insights from our guests on we have cool friends or if you want to listen to our weekly show remember we go live at 8 30 every monday morning on your favorite social media channel um so tune in and get the latest news tech and software insights from us and every two weeks we try and put out an episode where we're interviewing one of our cool friends like peter thank you peter thank you